Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz, on this edition of our podcast. I'll be joined by Gonzaga head coach Mark View. I was out there last week for their win over North Carolina at the Kennel. It was the biggest brand name to ever come to Spokane. I know Michigan State fans may have something to say about that, but uh, in terms of true, long-term, original Blue Bloods, North Carolina going to the Kennel certainly suffices. Uh, Look, this Zag team, and we're going to talk about this, uh, has a great shot to win the national championship as a number one seed, uh, a number one team, and yet uh, it's kind of crazy how this whole thing came together. Newcomers, transfers, international players, but it's all relative to this season, and Mark's had much better teams, more talented teams, but there's no great team this season, and so Gonzaga has a legit shot to win the national championship yet again, maybe for the third time in the last four seasons, they are in position to potentially do that. Haven't done it yet. Played for the national championship in 2017 against North Carolina. Just came up a couple of minutes short. Also, Gus Johnson, Fox Sports play-by-play. Uh, used to do some NCAA tournament games, of course. He is uh, a big game voice. I've had the pleasure of being the sideline reporter for a number of his games over the last two seasons. So I caught up with Gus at our game between Kansas and Villanova just to get his quick thoughts on... You know, some favorite March Madness memories, favorite March Madness players. Uh, just a little sampling. Uh, Pat Forty from Now SI. Uh, he's worked for Yahoo Sports, ESPN, uh, Louisville Courier Journal. Uh, really covered the sport for, I think, over three decades. Uh, and we've got the Louisville-Kentucky game coming up. So he probably knows that as well as anyone in the country. And we're just going to get his thoughts on uh, the big rivalry that is coming up this weekend as Kentucky's struggling right now and Louisville looking like still a team that can win the ACC. Also at the back end of the podcast, Chad Acock from Turner Sports. We're going to go over my predictions from last week. Won't be a heavy week this week with games uh, really pretty much just on the weekend with the Christmas holiday. Uh, So before uh, we get to all that, it is time for our five Headlines of the week in college basketball. Headline number five. Breaking news in the basketball world. James Wiseman leaving college. He will sign an agent and prepare for the NBA draft. James Wiseman decided to leave for the NBA draft rather than return after his 12-game suspension. But Memphis keeps winning and is still the favorite to win the American Athletic Conference. They've knocked off NC State on a neutral court in Brooklyn, and they've won at Tennessee. So... The Memphis Tigers with Precious Achua, the freshman, certainly looking like a team to beat in the AAC, regardless of whether or not James Weissman's coming back, and now he's made it official. He will not. He will prepare for the NBA draft. At number four. 11-0, heading to Christmas. Auburn 74, Lehigh 51. So San Diego State remains unbeaten. Liberty basketball burst onto the national scene with an undefeated record this season. Three teams head into the Christmas holiday with a good chance of ending 2019 unbeaten. San Diego State, 12-0. They play Cal Poly on December 28th. Auburn, 11-0. They play Lipscomb on December 29th. And Liberty at 14-0. They got the toughest game of the three. They play at LSU on December 29th, but LSU just lost East Tennessee State, so why not Liberty? There's a chance that San Diego State, Liberty, and Auburn could be undefeated for a little bit. Maybe San Diego State and Liberty could be undefeated for quite some time. Uh, Auburn's going to be in the SEC, so you can't expect that, but that is headline number four. Headline number three. 
Seton Hall without two of their best players. Knock off the number seven ranked team in the nation. The crossroads goes to Butler to clinch the win tonight. 70 to 61 over the Boilermakers. All 10 members of the Big East enter the holidays with some hope that they could make the NCAA tournament after an important series of wins or continuing to win the past week. Just look at this. Villanova beat Kansas. Seton Hall beat Maryland. Butler beat Purdue on a neutral court in Indianapolis. Creighton won at Arizona State. St. John's beat Arizona in San Francisco. Providence got their first meaningful win of the season by beating Texas. And they have probably the, well, they do have the worst net rating of the group and have the tallest mountain to climb. But still, they got a pulse. Marquette, Xavier, which, by the way, just won at TCU. DePaul and Georgetown all won their last game before the break. So, it's been pretty good for the Big East here toward the end of December. Headline number two. We had our chance. You know, the same with Utah. Tie game with a minute to go, whatever it was. We had our chance, and we let it slip. One-time Final Four favorite Kentucky got swept in Las Vegas last week, losing to Utah. That was the shocker. And then to Ohio State. So, of course, the Buckeyes, one of the best teams in the country. Uh, Not a surprise, but the, the Utah loss was a real surprise, especially because then Utah got thumped by San Diego State. So the Wildcats, which will take on Louisville this weekend, um, they're going to have to reset. It's been uh, a bit of a rocky road since that season-opening win over Michigan State when Tyrese Maxey went off. Since then, lost at home to Evansville, lost these two games, and uh, just not looking like a title contender right now in the SEC, let alone the Final Four. And our headline number one for this week. And Villanova knocks off the number one team in the nation. So the fifth number one team going down this year. Kansas became the fifth number one team to lose this season after falling at Villanova, joining Michigan State, Kentucky, Duke, and Louisville to lose pretty much right after getting that ranking. Look, Bill Self told me earlier in the week, it was actually on this podcast earlier last week, I should say, he didn't think that they would go undefeated. They would stay there that there's going to be a rotation of teams. That's just the season we have. We're all going to fill out a bracket in March, and we're all going to be wrong. Just be prepared. (laughs) And those are your top five headlines from the week in college basketball. And now joining me here in March Madness 365, Mark Few, the head coach of Gonzaga. And Mark, uh, we're here after your win over North Carolina uh, 20 years ago. I got to think back to when I was in Seattle for the NCAA tournament, and North Carolina was there. Uh, ended up losing to Weber State. That was the beginning of the run when you guys knocked off Minnesota. If I told you that 20 years ago that you'd get North Carolina in this building in the kennel, what would you have told me then? No, it's pretty amazing. It's and, and Andy has been something, you know, that has been earned uh, over a long haul. I always tell everybody, you know, when I, at, when we first made that run, you know, I thought uh, the, that year I was an assistant. I'd go out and start getting involved with top 50 kids and whatever and and it didn't it didn't happen it took a while for Gonzaga's success to set in with them uh but probably the longest thing to take to take hold was scheduling you know and now now it's okay and and it's the right thing to do and it's a really really big game for for these you know other programs or what you might call blue bloods to play Gonzaga so uh uh, but listen, the guy who deserves a lot of credit for this is, is Roy Williams. And, and what, what an awesome guy he is for college basketball and for him to, to do it. He could play 10 home games if he wanted. 
you know, which some of the, a lot of these, some of the, some of those teams do. But he, he knows it's good for his team to go out and challenge him, much like Tom Izzo does, and, and he knows that it's great for college basketball. I mean, this was a big-time environment and a game that was hyped up and people looking forward to it, you know, all year. So uh, that's great for college hoops. We need to do more of these. I mean, you've, you've done bigger and better things, obviously, playing for national championship against this North Carolina team. But I think back, because you and I have talked about this a lot, there was a time where to get a team, you had to play in the Spokane Arena. Like, yeah. it, there was a process to get them to play on campus. What was that process like? Well, I mean, that's kind of what... Or I, even in Seattle. Well, like, no, the, I mean, that's what I alluded to. It was just like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it took longer than us recruiting top 50, top 25, even top 10 guys. You know, it took longer than us accruing number one seeds. Uh, but, you know... Like I said, it's 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 been earned over the years, and now it's it's okay to do it. I mean, and and it should be done, and all of us should be doing it. You know, that's why we play. That's why we played at Carolina last year. We can play a bunch of home games too. So, uh, I think it, it's it's those of us who understand seating and all that, you know, get it. And then all sometimes thinking outside our own little box and our own little programs trying to do what's best for college basketball I think there's a group of us out there that are doing that too so you've played so many of these stretches in your career and I'm thinking back to this one where you go three in a row and it's at Washington at Arizona home Carolina with or without Cole Anthony still and that is you know that's coming off battle for Atlantis where overtime Oregon lost Michigan how do you assess the way you guys have played in these last three weeks? Well, I mean, it, it, first of all, this is the toughest stretch we've ever had in in the regular season. You know, so to to play those level of teams where we played them and kind of cram them all in. I mean, I think it's been two or th- three weeks, maybe tops. Um, this has just been a week, right? Since we did uh, basically Washington, Arizona, and Carolina. Uh, I, shit, I don't even know if it's been a week, has it? It was Sunday night, and, and yeah, I guess it has. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's I, I, again, I didn't see this happening, you know, in the, early in the fall with this group, but uh, they've come together really well. And I think we're, you know, if we can get healthy, there's room for some real growth. Killian is not healthy at all right now, and he's just giving us everything he's got. He's about 50%, but Anton's out, and... Admont still banged up a little bit. And so, you know, if we can get everybody healthy, I think we can keep getting better because we're going to need to keep getting better. You know, we're like a lot of these teams right now. We're still kind of trying to figure everything out. I mean, how do you explain this? Where, and I know everything's relative to every year, but you really put this, this, you know, I think back to your teams. This is the first time that we've really had to put a team together um, kind of like a lot of these other one-and-done type teams, but a different way. But, I mean, you had no idea what you were getting. Most of the time you have an idea, you know, what you've got. Uh, I mean, not, not, not only that, but then the guys that we did have were hurt and had surgeries in the, in the offseason. So, uh, um, you know, we didn't get them essentially till mid-September to start putting them in, where usually you use those summer practices or some guys even go on trips. But we weren't allowed to do that. Ryan Woolridge had a surgery, and he had to wait all the way into September to play. Gilder uh, had the same thing. Killian had some procedures, and we didn't, we didn't get Killian until part, part of the way into the season. So that made exacerbated the whole thing. I mean, because our experience, this was, this was the least amount of experience we've ever returned here. And, and not just, like, losing starters and, you know, obviously uh, – uh, 
uh, Rui and 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 BC to the to the draft, and then and Snack selected to, to to come out. But you know, we'd always have guys redshirting and sitting out and ready. But you know, these these grad transfers hadn't sat. They'd never been here. Drew Timmy never been here. Anton Watson had never been here. And then Joel and, and Philip had, had played really, really limited roles, very limited roles. So, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I was a mess this fall, you know, just trying to figure out where we were going to be. But uh, so these good guys deserve a lot of credit. The staff deserves a lot of credit for keeping me somewhat sane. And uh, um, here we are. But we got we got a long ways to go. We 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 got to clean up some of our errors we're making on the defensive end. Yeah, Philip Petrushev. I mean, he played really well this summer. Um, what gave you an indication that he was going to play this well this early? Well, I mean, we, first of all, in our system, we knew he was going to get the ball. He was going to get a lot of touches, and and that, that would serve him well. It was his time now, and just with pretty much all our bigs, not any different than you knew Garrison Brooks was going to have a good year this year because it was his time, and he was going to get the ball in there. And, and uh, so I, I would say that. But, yeah, Philip, I think, is uh, – um, was able to get, you know, just enough feel last year. He got in the Duke game and some of those other big games when Killian was hurt. And then also the success he had this summer with the Serbian national team. I think he started asserting himself and, and really getting some confidence uh, there. Uh, so I think those two things. And then obviously when we came into the fall and we are throwing the ball in there and everybody's looking around like, hey, it's your turn. Then then I think he's slowly but surely started to grasp you know, that, hey, I, I, uh, I'm pretty good. Corey Kispert, I, in the preseason, they, oh, he's a glue guy. No, he's much more than a glue guy. I mean, he, he's become a go-to guy. How did that happen? Uh, a lot. We talked to him about, I talked to him a lot about how uh, Snacks, Zach Norville, had a great ability to shoot closely guarded shots, where Corey's always had a little bit of reluctance. If there's anybody in his area, he wouldn't necessarily you know rise up but he's a, a, tr- a pure jump shooter and he's six seven so i think he's hunting shots now um and he knows like throw ahead threes on the break are, are good shots uh for us and we want him to take and him coming off pin downs or flares or any of that action are good shots and then he's also he's finishing better you know i thought he finished well this first year not so well last year now he's finishing well uh, uh this year around the basket all right last two things mark the wcc uh, it's really good at the top. I mean, uh, St. Mary's playing really well. Jordan Ford is a potential All-American. BYU is now finally whole with Yoli Childs back. Yeah. You know, we'll see how good Santa Clara is, but they got a really good record. Yeah. So how much will this test your guys in January and February? Uh, it's going to test them a lot. I just I hope the general public across the country doesn't just do their, well, Gonzaga's going to win every game and blah, blah, blah. I mean, these guys have way, way, way more experience back. Um you know, some of them, their whole team. And, you know, Yoli Childs has, has been a handful for everybody in the league, and he's a very, very good player. St. Mary's has their entire team back, you know. So uh, very experienced. Jordan Ford's terrific, but, you know, so is Fit, Malik Fitz. And, and and Randy always puts those guys in the right roles and, and plays a certain style that, you know, is they, they, they don't beat themselves. But I would say the the, the other part of our league is 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 the middle part has really raised itself up. Uh, Santa Clara is very experienced, has everybody back and playing very well, has legitimate bigs that are skilled and guards that can score. Pepperdine's got a ton of talent with the, the two uh, 
Edwards brothers, and, and Colby Ross is a terrific uh, uh, point guard. And then, you know, uh, Damon Stoudemire's had a great start at Pacific this year. So I think it's much more competitive. I think wins are going to be hard to come by. And so, you know, we, uh, that's why scary a little bit. we got to get our depth up because, you know, it's going to be a long haul. And last thing, Mark, uh, it's all relative to this season. As crazy as it seems, I mean, you legitimately have a, another shot to get to a Final Four with this group. But you're, you're in the conversation because there's a lot of teams like you guys right now. Yeah, but I, if I was the media and everybody, I think everybody should just chill out on rankings right now and speculation on seeding because I think we're in for a wild ride, a, a wild ride this year, one that we haven't seen like this. And uh, so I, I think it's just purely speculative right now. And, and uh, But it, it's, it, I think the, the, the other part that would be true would be, yeah, I mean, we, everybody's got a shot. I mean, there's probably 50 teams that got a shot now, whereas before, you know, last year, you, you know, you're looking at us and looking at Duke and, and Virginia. I mean, you could pick out a couple. You could pick out five or six that said, okay, those guys are going to, you know, Texas Tech, obviously. And, and uh, But, you know, this, this year, I, I'd say, is wide open, no question. Thanks, Mark. Yep, you bet. And coming up next year on March Madness 365, Cats ranks top 10 of the week. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. And now it's time for Cats ranks top 10 of the week. For this week, looking at the top 10 national champs of this past decade. To start at number 10, UConn from 2014. Kevin Ollie's national championship with the Huskies. Wasn't a great Final Four, wasn't a great UConn team, but they were on a roll. At number nine, I'm not picking on UConn, but this was kind of an ugly Final Four. It was UConn 2011 when they knocked off Butler in the national championship game. Not very well played game, but Jim Calhoun's national championship there, his last one as the head coach of the Huskies. At number eight, there's an asterisk here. Louisville in 2013 behind Rick Pitino as that championship was ultimately vacated. But Louisville in 2013, I would put that team further down uh, at number eight uh, in terms of my top ten. Just on overall quality of the team, the run, they had a good win, obviously, over Michigan that day. But uh, it's not making my top seven, and here's why. Number seven, Villanova 2016. Once again, uh, a very good team, maybe not a great team, but Chris Jenkins shot to win it. One of the best endings ever in a national championship game at the buzzer. Number six, the year later, uh, that was a better North Carolina team. After losing that championship game in 2016, North Carolina came back, knocked off Gonzaga in the final couple of minutes. Really liked that team in 2017. Number five, the Duke team of 2015. You had Okafor, Winslow, Jones, uh, played Wisconsin in that game. Uh, It's really when we got to know Grayson Allen came off the bench and Grayson Allen uh, really spurred the comeback in the last couple of minutes to ensure a Duke win over Wisconsin. At number four, the Virginia team that won it last April in 2019. What a run they had. Uh, It wasn't the greatest team of the decade. It certainly might have been the most fortunate because they could have lost to Gardner-Webb in round one. Uh, They certainly could have lost in the Sweet 16 to Purdue. Uh, before they had a miracle ending to tie the game to send it overtime. They could have lost the semi to Auburn. Could have lost the championship game to Texas Tech. 
So the most fortunate team of the 10, but maybe not the best. And at number three, the Duke team of 2010. I'll always remember that Final Four in Indianapolis. You had the Gordon Hayward shot that I can still see almost going down. The play that was sort of unsung by Brian Zubek, really forcing an awkward shot by Hayward, the possession before, if I'm not mistaken. John Shire's on the staff now, so is Nolan Smith. Uh, Kyle, Kyle Singler was sort of the best pro on that team, Mason Plumley. This is a really good team, really good Duke team that beat, obviously, a Butler team that had pros. Uh, so number three, Duke 2010. At number two, Villanova of 2018. Jalen Brunson, National Player of the Year. This team dominated the Final Four. Just dominated. What a convincing win over Michigan. They crushed Oklahoma. Um, just a dominant performance by Villanova in 2018. And then number one. My top team of the decade, Kentucky of 2012, Anthony Davis leading that team to the national championship, uh, a freshman-dominated team winning the national championship over Kansas, a little revenge for John Calipari over Bill Self. Uh, just a, a pleasure to watch that Kentucky team win in 2012. Just immense talent on the floor. So that's my look at the top 10 champs of the last 10 years. All right, here with Fox Sports is Gus Johnson. And Gus, you've called a lot of basketball games. Uh, if you can think back to maybe some of your favorite or maybe your favorite college basketball call, what would it be? Well, you know, I don't really look at it like that uh, in terms of the call. I just go out there and do the game. But I think we've had some great moments. Uh, Isaiah Thomas hitting the game-winning shot for Washington to beat Arizona in the Pac-12 championship or Pac-10 championship back then. Uh, backdoor cut for Princeton against UCLA in Indianapolis in 1996. Uh, mm, let me see. Uh, Florida beating Gonzaga. The slipper still fits uh, years ago. So, you know, that's kind of how I look at it. Just some great games, great moments. Who are some of the favorite players that you've enjoyed calling? Well, you know, Adam Morrison was one of my favorites when he was at Gonzaga. He was just such a special player. When Greg Oden was at Ohio State, I loved watching him. Uh, Jimmer Fredette at BYU, man, he was electric. So those are some of the guys. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And now joining me here, March Madness 365, Pat Forty, now of Sports Illustrated, we're going to talk uh, a little Louisville, Kentucky, and then just a quick a big picture here with Pat. He's been covering college sports for, if I've been doing 30 years, he's a little older than me, a couple of years, so I guess I'm going to say 32, 33, 34 maybe years at the most, uh, more than me uh, total. Uh, so, uh, Pat, first of all, congratulations on your new gig. Uh, I know when you left ESPN, when I was at ESPN, that was a body blow to us. Uh, so just uh, tell, tell us first about your new gig before we dive into uh, the rivalry in, in the state in which you've called home. Sure. Thank you, Andy. Happy to be with you. And yeah, it's 32 years for me. Hard to believe, as I know it is for you. I guess it means we're old. Yes. <laughs> doesn't feel like it, so let's keep going. Um, but yeah, New Jail's been great. Uh, the proverbial drinking from the fire hose when you change jobs covering college sports on November 1st 
Uh, there's an awful lot going on between football and the start of basketball. And so, you know, I think like maybe in April I'll get my breath and, you know, actually figure out what I'm doing. But uh, it's been really good, you know, an added kind of magazine writing component that uh, obviously wasn't there with Yahoo. Uh, you know, and uh, it, it, I'm doing a little bit more college basketball early, which is fun, uh, kind of more to my roots. Uh, just because they they need more uh, more work there, so I'm you know I'm doing a lot of both, but uh, it's been very fun so far. Well, those that uh, I know follow college athletics know your name, uh, just in all facets, from beat writer to columnist to investigative reporter. You've covered it all. Admired you, you know, loved calling you a colleague for a little bit, and uh, I encourage everyone to constantly and continue to read your work, and also. You have a great. You, you didn't leave your Yahoo Roots, your podcast with uh, Dan Wetzel and Pete Thamel. Uh, for, uh, remind me the name of it again. Yes, the uh, Yahoo Sports College podcast. Oh, pretty basic. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's still under the Yahoo name, but they do identify me as Sports Illustrated Fast Forty. But uh, we do have a lot of fun doing the podcast, no doubt. All right. So first, um, the big game this weekend: Louisville, Kentucky. Um, you know, I remember uh, the first time Rick Pitino came. I was at that game, been at a few of them, not as many as you, obviously. But I remember the one when uh, Rick came back uh, to Kentucky as the head coach of Louisville. That one was nasty. There's been nastiness on both sides, depending upon where it is. Uh, but now we have a change. Second year for Chris Mack as the head coach at Louisville. Uh, John Calipari entering his second decade as the Kentucky head coach. Uh, before we get into the, the, each team, uh, where is this rivalry right now in 2019-2020? It's a good question. Um, you know, the, the heat, the hate, the intensity is the same as it's ever been. Uh, you know, it was very, very fierce. I've always said it's the, the most passionate rivalry in college basketball. It may not be, the teams may not have been as good, as successful as Duke and North Carolina, but I really believe the fan bases hate each other more than those two uh, for a variety of reasons. A lot of it cultural. Uh, but it's, uh, right now, I mean, it's, it's been Kentucky's own rivalry, lock, stock, and barrel under Calipari. You know, there's it, some fans may be grumbling about, you know, they haven't been in the Final Four since 2015. They haven't won a title since 2012. But they sure like it in late December when they beat up on Louisville, which she has done with great success and great regularity. <clears throat> the Louisville fans, uh, you know, I think they're looking at this year like, my gosh, we've got to beat them. You know, we, 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 on paper, we have the better team. They are struggling. If we don't beat them now, when are we ever going to beat them? So, you know, I guarantee it, it's the biggest sporting event other than perhaps maybe the Kentucky Derby every year in the state. Really, probably people care more about who wins or loses this than who wins the Kentucky Derby. But uh, it will be a very intense Saturday, as it always is when these two play. So, Pat, um, for those that don't live there in the Commonwealth, to understand, uh, it is my understanding that, you know, Louisville owns Louisville, although there are Kentucky fans. And Kentucky owns the rest of the state, and it's hard to find Louisville fans in the rest of the state. How, how true is that? Yeah, no, it's, it's true, no doubt. Um, you know, if you go Jefferson County, which is where the city of Louisville is, is probably 65, 35 Louisville fans to Kentucky fans. There's still plenty of Kentucky fans here. Um, 
this, there's a couple surrounding counties that make up kind of a Louisville metro area that, that are probably fairly similar. And then if you get outside the Louisville metro area, it's probably 95.5 Kentucky to Louisville. It is just a, a big blue sea out there when you get away from Louisville. And that, that adds to that dynamic, dynamic. I mean, because it's very, there's, there's a city versus rural component for sure um, that is, is a distinct part of this. And uh, you go out in the state, and if you're if you're wearing red, people are going to look at you funny. Well, and then Louisville also can draw from the state of Indiana just a little bit, can it? Yeah, yeah, Southern Indiana, right across the Ohio River, and uh, there's a couple counties there that uh, that have a, a pretty big Louisville contingent as well, no doubt about it. Uh, but also some Kentucky fans over there too. Big blues everywhere, as you know. All right, so in the last 32 years, now I know all 32 were living in the state of Kentucky, but uh, which memories jump out at you in the Louisville-Kentucky rivalry that you saw firsthand? Oh, boy. Um, several of them. You know, I, I, I remember attending one game where uh, I think it was Sean Woods for Kentucky went in for a layup and kind of landed on James Boo Brewer for Louisville's shoulder and – Boo just kind of grabbed Woods' leg and flipped him over him completely onto the floor. Uh, and that escalated a bench. That turned into a bench clearer. Uh, so there's been some moments like that. Uh, Boogie Cousins grabbing, I think it was Jared Swapshire's head and banging it into the floor uh, when they were diving for a loose ball. Uh, with Patino's first game back at, at Rupp Arena, the one that you were in attendance for, uh, was memorable just for the incredible vitriol lane to the guy who had hung a national championship banner in that very arena. Uh, a few years ago, uh, when Patino flipped off the crowd on his way out of the arena, that was, that was, that one stood out. Uh, there, there have been many moments. That's for sure. A lot of, you know, a lot of heat. Um, and oh, I, I guess uh, Patrick Sparks making a, uh, or getting fouled on a shot and making free throws with, I want to say less than a second left in what was that? That was in Freedom Hall. That one was a real dagger to Louisville fans who still insist that Patrick Sparks uh, traveled on the play. Well, what about the reverse? I mean, Rick Pitino goes from Kentucky to Louisville with a you know, break with the Celtics in between. Um, how, how plausible could it be to go the other way if a Louisville coach went to Kentucky? Um, yeah, I mean, it would be greeted with similar anger by a lot of people, but I think also a little bit more understanding, you know, I, I just think nobody is quite as passionate for better and for worse than, as Kentucky fans. And so while that manifests itself in incredible support for the team, it also manifests itself in some real loss of lack of perspective in some ways that I think Louisville fans for the most part are a little more grounded. You know, one of the things Patino always said is that, it was just like a little bit easier to go out to a restaurant in Louisville than it was in Lexington when he was the coach at the Cardinals versus the Wildcats, just because, you know, people had basketball at least a tiny bit more in perspective. It wasn't, you know, that, that, that you were walking around like the emperor. And that's not to say he didn't enjoy walking around like the emperor when he was at Kentucky. But, you know, I think Louisville's a little bigger city, a little more going on, and I think that there's a, just a tiny bit more basketball in perspective. So I think if a Louisville coach went to Kentucky, if Chris Mack did that, people would be really mad. But I don't think it would be like vilified for life, you know, and, and all of uh, the coach's exploits at one school would be forgotten 
when they were at the next school. All right, a couple of quick things here before I let you go. Number one, Kentucky loses two in a row in Las Vegas. Uh, not shocked they lost to Ohio State. Definitely shocked they lost to Utah, which then got pummeled by San Diego State. Uh, this team looked very good day one. Tyrese Maxey, they upset Michigan State. Um, since then, they've lost at home to Evansville. Uh, where is this Kentucky team right now? Struggling for sure. Uh, you know, looking for answers offensively. They they cannot shoot with the thorn. They finally getting Nate Sistina back after missing a few games, uh, and him making some shots against Ohio State had to feel like you know just a, a, an absolute jolt of oxygen to the fans. You know, just been dying watching this team miss every perimeter shot. Uh, so that could help them going forward. But still, they, I mean, this is not a very good team right now. Now, Cal has had, who knows, at least a half dozen Kentucky teams that look terrible in November and December and then play much better in February and March. And that's not, you know, this one could very well be the next one of those. But, man, you watch them and, and you see a lot of deficiencies. Not only can they not uh, uh, shoot, but the, the interior play is not good, you know, offensively. Defensively, it's not bad because just because of the sheer size, but the front court is not giving them much offensively. Nick Richards uh, had two points against Ohio State after he's had a, a very good start to the season. E.J. Montgomery hasn't done what was expected of him so far through a year plus. And the freshman forwards, uh, Khalil Whitney and um, Keon Brooks, really have not made an impact yet either. So it's right now it's Ashton Hagen's. Emmanuel quickly, Tyrese Maxey, or bust for them. Yeah, and we've learned that all one and dones are not created equal, and I think they come in thinking that, but uh, it, it, they're just not. And so I think a lot of these players come in as freshmen and think, oh, I can just get through here in a year, play well, and then I'll be on to the NBA, but it doesn't always work like that. They're not all created equal. For Louisville, uh, their biggest game of the season, you could argue, um, maybe some people would say home Michigan because Michigan was coming off the win at the Battle for Atlantis. But on display, it might have been in New York at the Jimmy V. They lost to a Texas Tech team without its best player. Jamias Ramsey was hurt with a hamstring injury. And you got Avery Benson, uh, who was a character, is a character, uh, hustling through and beating Louisville. Uh, this is a team predicted to finish first or second in the ACC, be a Final Four contender. Where are they? Well, I think that was a big wake-up call for him. You know, I, th- I think that Louisville kind of believed its own hype to a degree to that point and, and hadn't play- been playing as hard as you needed to. And there's nobody going to remind you how hard you have to play better than a Chris Beard team. Uh, you know, Texas Tech just, just out-hustled them, out-competed them. And so I think that was probably good for them. The one uh, weakness for this Louisville team, really, I guess two, one is just the point guards are, are not great. So not only are they not great scorers, they, they don't break down defense as well. They don't necessarily pass, make great decisions passing. Uh, and then the other is, who is the second scorer to Jordan Warrow? He's a very good player that uh, has probably too much on his shoulders. And uh, Stephen Enoch probably can be that guy inside, but their interior guys have been inconsistent. Uh, so, you know, it's by, by no means a complete team. They, I think they have one of the better teams. I think they will eventually work their freshmen into the rotation more. They've got a talented freshman class. Um, Samuel Williamson and David Johnson probably most particularly, and I think they're going to need them for offensive punch uh, and that kind of second score role. And, and for David Johnson, who's more of a small, a big guard, small forward, he might end up doing some point guard just because he's got the athleticism to, 
to create some things. So uh, they're off to a very good start. They're a good team. I expect them to be in it for the long haul, but uh, they've got some um, they've got some issues. Well, the bottom line is everyone does, and that's my last thing, Pat. Yeah. You know, five number ones. Uh, you know, this season. Uh, well, you know, five, excuse me, five number ones have lost after getting the ranking. So there will be more number ones. Uh, I think this trend is going to continue. Uh, and what it means is that we don't have a great team to watch, uh, to dominate. That's going to be intimidating. And while that's always great to have a Goliath, uh, I think that we're all going to fill out brackets and we're all going to be wrong because the seeding is going to be ridiculous because it's going to be hard to separate teams. I still think name teams will get to Atlanta. I don't know which four. And, uh, you know, I think it's just going to be a total chaotic tournament, which I think will be fun. You know, I mean, we're not going to have the, 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 the elites. I mean, even the best player remaining right now, you know, you could argue maybe it's Anthony Edwards from Georgia. They don't look like they're going to be a tournament team in terms of most talented. But I, I just get the sense we're just going to have a chaotic month, and that's okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, that's fine. I mean, people love the unpredictability of uh, March Madness. And, and yeah, you know what? Look, I, I, I'm not sure we're watching great basketball. I know we're not watching great teams. But that doesn't mean you can't enjoy the season. I mean, and just on, you know, the, the, the under, not knowing every night when you turn on the TV what's going to happen, that's a great allure. You know, that that's a reason to watch for a lot of people. And a reason for us to cover it, um, you know, predictability is is not always terribly exciting. So, I, you know, I'm looking forward to this. I think, you know, it could be one of those years like 2011 where you end up with a BCU and a Butler at the Final Four. Uh, that wouldn't shock me. Uh, I, I just hope the games are better than they were last year, if you recall. I mean, nobody could make a basket in any of the three games. But, you know, that, that would be fun. That tournament was a lot of fun. Just a wild mess of attorney getting there. And if we get that again, I sign me up. I take it. Well, I appreciate it. Pat Forty from Sports Illustrated. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. And now here on March Madness 365, time for a little predictions with Chad Acock from Turner Sports. Uh, Chad, how did I do last week? I, there's a rumor out there that it might have been one of my best weeks of the season. Yeah, Andy, you are absolutely on fire. You went 10-2, and two, gave you 12 games. Uh, you nailed Gonzaga over UNC. You got the Duke game right, Auburn. You got the big uh, Villanova win over Kansas. Uh, you got both those Crossroads Classic games correct with Indiana and Butler. You got UNC over UCLA, Ohio State over Kentucky. Colorado uh, really helped you out with that buzzer beater. And then USC ended up uh, barely knocking off LSU. Uh, your only misses, though, uh, you had Tennessee winning at Cincinnati. That did not happen. And you had Maryland winning at Seton Hall, and that did not happen. Seton Hall, really big win after a couple of injuries there. Yeah, I mean, look, the Seton Hall-Maryland game, I don't think anyone would fault me for picking Maryland on the road because there was no Miles Powell. So kudos to the Pirates. And look, Cincinnati lost at home to Colgate, and I know Tennessee the previous weekend did not play well against Memphis. But I figured they were going to bounce back, and they didn't. And they're really struggling offensively. Lamonte Turner's injury is certainly a major factor now for the Vols. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of news with them right now, and it's not positive for the long term. Um, So, you know, those were two misses. I feel very strongly about a 10-2 week. Colorado bailed me out with the Schwartz uh, three-pointer to win it. McKinley Wright had 29, season high. Uh, so a great win for the Buffaloes there in Chicago against Dayton. But overall, 
uh, trending in the right direction, Chad. That's right. I mean, just about all of those games were close, and somehow you came on the right side of most of them. <laughs> um, Andy, we've got a little bit of a, not a down week, but it's a little bit lighter volume with the holiday season. Um, but we're going to give you another chance here with Tennessee. Let's start Saturday, December 28th. Wisconsin at Tennessee. Who you got in that one? So this is, you know, arguably, I think it's one of the toughest games to pick this month. And the reason is, so Wisconsin got Micah Potter, uh, played really well in his first game back. Uh, He's the transfer from Ohio State. He didn't win his appeal, so he had to sit out this fall semester. Played well in their first game, or his first game against Milwaukee. But he's not a savior, but he's really going to help them. The problem is Wisconsin on the road is a completely different team. That game I'm talking about against Milwaukee was at the Kohl Center. They play really well there. They shoot really well. They can't shoot on the road. Tennessee, as I just said, you know, Turner's situation. They're not playing well offensively. I just can't see them losing this game again uh, at home to a team that I think they really got to beat. Now, on the flip side, Wisconsin desperately needs a win, but I think Tennessee is just going to be in a position of desperation, even though they're down in numbers. uh, I'm just convinced that they're going to end up winning this game in kind of a probably more of a rock fight again, sort of a a low possession uh, game in the 50s. All right. Andy, this is one I've been looking forward to. Despite a couple of losses, the Louisville-Kentucky game is going to be phenomenal. Um, We heard Calipari in the locker room. We posted on social. Andy, like – he realizes, look, Kentucky is kind of everybody's Super Bowl, no matter what they're ranked. Um, so despite the losses, I, f- I feel good about Calipari having his guys ready, especially at home in Rupp Arena. But who you got winning this one? Yeah, if this game was in Louisville, I would go Louisville. It's at Kentucky. I'm going Kentucky. Kentucky cannot afford to lose this game. Uh, they have not had a big win since the first night of the season against Michigan State. They're not shooting the basketball well at all. They're going to have to, obviously, against Louisville. Louisville's last big game they didn't play hard enough to beat Texas Tech in, in New York. Uh, I, you know, I think this is going to be a great atmosphere. As Pat Forty just told us on the podcast, it doesn't matter what happens with Kentucky during the regular season outside of this game. Uh, fans will remember what happened in the Louisville game long after they remember you know, Utah and Las Vegas, Evansville, that kind of stuff. This is the game they circle. Even though there's a holiday break for the guys to be away for a couple days, Cal will get their attention leading into this game. I cannot see them stepping up and having a big outing against Louisville. I say Kentucky wins at home. All right, where does this rivalry rank for you? I guess just across college basketball, Andy. So I would put this as the, by far, the best non-conference rivalry, by far. Right. Um, and I would put it, if Duke Carolina is one, this is 1A. Uh, The difference is, you know, the Duke-Carolina rivalry, um, there's there's not as much nastiness. And maybe I would just say maybe not lately. There's a lot of nastiness with Louisville and Kentucky. And and Pat talked about this. It's really sort of city versus rural. Um, You know, there's just a lot within the Louisville-Kentucky rivalry that I think is deep deep-seated between the two fan bases. Uh, And, you know, with Duke and Carolina, especially lately, because they're so close, a lot of those guys play in the summer. I don't don't think that happens as much with Louisville and Kentucky. Um, And and I just think there's much more of a heated rivalry. I would go with this one much more intense. And it's, you know, it's 1-1-A with Duke and Carolina. All right. Let's move ahead to Sunday. 
December 29th. Andy, we talked about it last week. It's these you know, neutral site games uh, at the NBA arenas that end up giving us pretty good matchups. You've got West Virginia and Ohio State playing in Cleveland. Uh, who you got winning this one? I'm going to go Ohio State. West Virginia with Oscar Shabway has, uh, and Derek Culver, one of the best front courts in the country. Caleb Wesson is starting to really come into himself and play like an All-American. I think it's going to be a great matchup. DJ Carton played phenomenal in their game against Kentucky, and that's where they've got the edge. Their backcourt is the difference versus West Virginia's. But uh, I think they'll have a strong contingent. They travel well. This will be a really just, I think, a good, intense game um, at the Cavs' home court, and I'm going to go with Ohio State. All right. And, Andy, Liberty is one of three unbeaten teams, along with Auburn and San Diego State. On that Sunday, they're going to go to LSU and put their undefeated record to the test. Are they going to stay unbeaten? So if this was neutral, I actually would go Liberty. But I think with LSU, even though Liberty's one on the road, they haven't gone to a school like LSU yet. LSU's not playing well right now, and that's why I'm going to look for desperation. I think a little reset in the holidays. They lost East Tennessee State. They're going to need this game because, as crazy as it sounds, this would actually be a really good win for them. I mean, Liberty's going to be in the NCAA tournament. Um, They're a team that's going to potentially win a game, you know, like last year. So this could be a really good win for LSU, and I think they get it. Yeah, I think you nailed it. They really need a, a big win. They've had a lot of those close losses with you know losing to USC, losing at VCU. They could really use this bump. Andy, you've got Kansas at Stanford. Stanford, they're eleven and one. Who you got winning this one? So I saw Kansas play Villanova on Saturday. Marcus Garrett's injury certainly was a factor. Um, you know, in terms of what happened in the second half, Stanford has played really well. They actually could have been undefeated if you think back to their Kansas City tournament in the Hall of Fame there where they lost to Butler really late. Uh, I mean, they had a chance to win that game. So, I mean, Stanford could be undefeated right now. Uh, They didn't play a great schedule, but that was a good tournament for them in Kansas City. But I just think Kansas inside has got too much for the Cardinal. Uh, Yudoka Azubuke didn't play great against Villanova, but he's got the potential to play much better. Their ceiling is higher. Dave McCormack uh, is another sort of a glue guy that I think will exploit the Cardinal inside. And uh, I think, you know, Kansas, look, Kansas could have won that game in Villanova. They just kind of fumbled it away in the last minute and a half. So I'm going to go with the Jayhawks on the road in another true road game for them back-to-back before and after Christmas. Yeah, Stanford's had a pretty high net ranking so far, but I agree. I think the Jayhawks bounce back. Uh, Andy, the final game we've got for you this week, Arkansas at Indiana. Who you got winning this one? Really good game. Uh, Eric Musselman's team, one loss. Not a great schedule, but that's okay. You had to build some confidence. Indiana, one loss. Uh, Looked awful at Wisconsin, where Wisconsin's a different team. You know, good win over UConn in New York. Actually, a, a squeaker against Nebraska and another squeaker uh, in the crossroads against Notre Dame. So they've been able to win games late. Uh, I think this will be a late possession game, but I'm going to go with the Hoosiers at home. They're going to go into the Big Ten with one loss and feeling extremely confident that after not making it last year, they can make the NCAA tournament. You think they'll be ranked if they win this game, Andy? Yes, I do. All right. Well, Andy, you've got Liberty as the next unbeaten team to fall. So that would leave us with Auburn and San Diego State. Between those two teams, which team's going to be the last one standing? Is it Auburn because of the schedule, you know, having to play an SEC schedule, or, you know, San Diego State, they got to go at Utah State? I mean, what are we looking at here? 
Yeah, I, I'm going to go with San Diego State being the last one that's going to end up staying unbeaten. You know, when we look at the scheduling, as you said, you know, with Auburn being in the SEC, their SEC schedule, to be honest, it's a little soft at the beginning. Right. Um, you know, they do start it at Mississippi State next week, but they're struggling. Then they're home Vandy, home Georgia, at Alabama. These are all winnable games. At Florida, they're not playing well. South Carolina, uh, I mean, they actually could go a ways, but, but I just think once you get in a conference play, uh, you know, you're going to drop a road game, as we saw in the Big Ten, how hard it is to win on the road. Um, but, you know, the depth isn't there in the Mountain West. While, yes, Utah State and New Mexico, uh, you know, I think are all postseason teams. But I would just say, looking at their schedule, you know, they've got Cal Poly this weekend, Fresno. You know, those are home games. You know what? As I say this, because <laughs> they start, I, I, let me readjust here, Chad. Uh, I blanked there for a second. They do open at Utah State on the road. Fresno is a home game in the Mountain West. On the fourth, right. So, ooh, this is tough. I'm going to have to reassess. I'm going to say Utah State beats them. So I will go by a day or two. <laughs> Auburn will be the last one standing, but not for long. All right. It kind of feels like if San Diego State wins at Utah State, it feels like they'll definitely be the team that's the last one standing. But, yeah, if Utah State gets them, we might see Auburn there. Yeah, the timing of when they're playing that Utah State game, that's what would readjust it. Because, listen, after that, their next tough game probably is not till at New Mexico on January 29th. Yeah. If they win at Utah State, then San Diego State will be the last one standing because they're going to go all the way till the end of the month. Well, Andy, we're going to track these six games this weekend, and uh, we'll be right back at it with double-digit picks next week. Yeah, for sure. Well, Chad, I appreciate it. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Happy Hanukkah. To those that celebrate all the different holidays here, it's been a great first two months of the season. Uh, We're going to continue to deliver on the content. You can check all our content out on all our social media handles, March Madness and uh, NCAA.com. Of course, wherever you download your podcast, download this podcast. We are delivering throughout the course of the season, getting you up to date on everything college basketball. And hey, my predictions are getting better too. Chad, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm Andy Katz. Thanks for listening and enjoy and have a very happy and merry, safe holiday season. We'll talk to you next week, right before the new year on New Year's Eve. So appreciate everyone. We'll talk next week.